0: Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com. Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Webinar Wednesday. Um, Welcome to today's webinar, uh, Nonprofit Tech Trends uh, Leaders Need to Know About. My name is Kara Goldusky.
2: My name is Johan Hammerstrom. I'm the CEO at Community IT. and
3: uh, So my name is Carolyn, and I'm the Marketing and Outreach Director. Mm-hmm. So we're going to actually turn it over to Matt to uh, talk a little bit more about fraud, cyber insurance, your nonprofit, and basic cybersecurity. And we have a poll. So, um, Matt, do you want to read what the options are?
4: Yeah. So um, So Community IT uh, – you know, has been mentioned before, we run managed services um, for about 6,000 um, nonprofit staff. We categorize uh, all of those security incidents that we see uh, into um, into an incident report. And so these are some of the uh, types of incidents uh, that we respond to. So we see instances of a compromised account. That's where uh, somebody's user login to google or to microsoft or to salesforce may be accessed by someone other than the intended user Uh, we see organizations suffer wire fraud or some other financial loss you know due to gift card um, buying Uh, we see some organizations being targeted with uh, what are known as advanced persistent threat actors those would be kind of nation state or state sponsored actors that are really interested in kind of getting in and understanding what an organization is doing who the staff are interacting with. Uh, We still see some organizations experiencing um, option four, you know, kind of ransomware uh, or other kind of malicious um, software. And if you've experienced something else, uh, then you can go ahead and and drop that into the chat. I think what we've seen is that over time, the number uh, of cyber incidents that we're responding to is only increasing over time. Uh, That's backed up by some of the data we see from the uh, from the FBI as well and other industry sources, um, and so this is a topic that uh, is not getting <laughs> getting better, unfortunately, uh, but requires more care and attention. So, uh, yeah. So, on we got our results there. I think the the results are public here. Great. So we see you know folks having a broad range of uh, of, of responses. So. As we
3: yeah, I think actually the people cannot see the results. Um, so I think some people have dropped some in the chat. But um actually, mm-hmm. let me just go back a slide. Um, so we had about 25% had compromised accounts. So somebody um, got access to one of your email accounts. Uh, we didn't have anyone responding about wire fraud, which is interesting. We just mm-hmm. did a whole webinar um, last spring on wire fraud and how to protect yourself. Um, Option three, advanced persistent threat or spying. Um, Got a couple of answers to that. A couple of ransomware attacks. um, And so I think you're going to talk a little bit about how to prevent that. And then some other um, dropping in the chat for the malware supply chain attack, other IT incident or not having had an incident. So...
4: So I think uh, the nonprofit sector, uh, you know, we didn't ask this as a poll question, but this is some survey data that came out, I think, from N10. Um, But many organizations don't know or don't have those policies in place that we uh, talked about. Uh, I think at the time of the survey, about 74% of organizations had not implemented multi-factor authentication, which is an absolutely critical security control. If you are an Office 365 customer, Microsoft is going to force MFA Um, by the end of September. So they're gonna turn that on and enable security defaults. So uh, if you've not implemented MFA already, that will be coming. Uh, Salesforce did that earlier this year uh, as organizations um, really react to to these compromised accounts. uh, And MFA is a great way to protect against that. Uh, We know many organizations are using unsecured wireless and Bluetooth devices. Again, I think uh, in the rush to provide remote work resources, Uh, and not have firmly established policies, a lot of this has just been, you know, getting people productive and getting to work. And now I think there's an acknowledgement that uh, we need to provide better security controls and uh, more effective protections for staff, regardless of their work location. Uh, And then uh, tying that back to, I think, the openness that many nonprofit organizations have, that, you know, anybody can access their data from anywhere and from any device. Uh, And again, I think there's a growing acknowledgement uh, specifically as we have a lot of staff turnover and transitions. If that remote staff person, you know, synced your organization's Dropbox to their personal laptop and now they're gone, uh, what risk does that present to the organization? So I think taking a clear view and, and doing some risk analysis uh, on what is important to your organization or what could represent a security risk to your organization uh, is a critical exercise. So let's talk a little bit um, about. Uh, I think, t- speaking of kind of trends, is a real change in the landscape around cyber uh, liability insurance. So, you know, many organizations are getting this type of coverage. Uh, but what we've seen really in the last year is that there's been a pretty dramatic increase in the cyber uh, liability underwriting requirements in terms of the controls that you need to have in place as an organization. And also, the cost has really gone up. Um, dramatically, uh, we did a, a webinar uh, earlier this month uh, where we worked with uh, an insurance broker who talked about the increase in prices, and so they were seeing renewal rates, eas- you know, sometimes double on average about 155 uh, percent increase in cyber liability insurance coverage. So uh, the costs are increasing and the requirements are becoming more stringent as well. Uh, they're looking for multi-factor authentication on all cloud systems. Anything that you can access remotely, uh, the bad guys can too. So make sure that that is protected. Uh, we're gonna, the underwriters are looking for formal evidence of uh, all of these policies that we talked about earlier. They are looking for backups. Uh, in disconnected systems, again, the bad guys can get in if they're doing, uh, you know, kind of, if they're hacking into your systems, they're pretty sophisticated and they will target backup systems first. Uh, so if those backup systems are, are accessible using the same, on the same network, you're using the same credentials as your production system, then that can be targeted as well. Uh, we're also seeing Uh, I think this is a positive uh, movement, but increase in security awareness training. Uh, I love all the tech tools that are available for organizations to purchase uh, for spam filtering and device protection. But I think fundamentally the most important thing organizations can do is train and educate their staff. Most attacks are delivered through email uh, and are trying to get, you know, the bad guys are trying to trick people to take some action, to click on a link, to enter their password, uh, to You know, provide, you know, that next step of access for the adversary who will then go in and, you know, try to buy those gift cards or uh, open up a new bank account. So uh, understanding the financial risk that organizations face and help connect the dots so that staff feel comfortable and uh, knowledgeable whenever they can, you know, evaluate the emails that they receive is a great step uh, to take. So. So as we talk about data in the cloud, I think this is a question that we we get quite a lot is that you know which platform is more secure or I'm in the cloud, I'm secure, aren't I? Um, but I think it's important to understand or acknowledge that any secure platform can be used um, insecurely. So if you're an organization that has HIPAA compliance, for example, um, you know you can go with all the big cloud providers, they will provide you compliance uh, documents that they uh, that they use and that their facilities observe. But if you're an organization and you give everybody admin rights to all the data in the organization, that's you know, an example of a insecure use of, of what could be a secure platform. So again, I think any platform can be used securely, and any platform can be used insecurely as well. Uh, I think it's important to have that uh, regular training, as we talked about before, to make sure that staff are aware and engaged and know what to do and feel comfortable talking to IT as opposed to uh, feeling bad and trying to, uh, you know, kind of cover up their tracks if they did click on something or, if, or if, you know, they did, uh, you know, have some negative uh, event happen. Um, and then I would say. Uh, as we talked about you know those passwords and the you know the mfa requirement is is absolutely critical to make sure that every system that you are accessing has a new unique password uh, because what we can see from the data is that once one username and password is compromised then the adversaries will go and try that login on every other system uh, that your organization may be maybe using so making sure that your accounts are unique uh, and not reusing passwords is an important um, important step to take. So as we wrap up some of the cybersecurity uh, initiatives, I think just leave you with the three bullet points here as uh, the trends that need to be in place at your organization, uh, developing and implementing effective IT policies, making sure that your staff are trained and engaged, And then making sure that you've got multi-factor authentication enabled on any and all cloud accounts that you can access remotely uh, are really the foundational steps that will make a meaningful difference in improving the cybersecurity at your organization.
3: Matt, we had a quick question um, in the chat about if you haven't received um, security training at your organization, um, usually it really does come from the organization. It's not something that you can do on your own, but do you have any advice for someone of who they should talk to? Is that usually something you would ask at HR? Or, um, or your manager, or what would you advise?
4: Yeah, I would say typically uh, we're seeing, you know, cybersecurity training come from the IT department, um, but I do know that many HR systems are now kind of building it in or including that as one of the options that uh, that is included with the online package. And, and it's included as part of a, you know, staff onboarding process in terms of the policies and procedures of the organization. So again, you know, it, it with your organization, it depends. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, probably IT first. And if they're not uh, engaged, then HR would be the second place to go to look.
3: And we have some uh, resources that we um, put here. And I've also been dropping a few in the chat as well to some resources on our site. Um, so we have we have just a lot of uh, free downloads. There's a couple of other um resources here, but I want to make sure that we have enough time to get to questions at the end. so please please put your questions in the chat and we'll see if we can answer them. Um, but I want to give you guys a chance to move on to some of these uh, ongoing changes that we're seeing and um, in, in operations and that we expect to be part of the landscape for a while going forward. so um, if you want to talk a little bit more about those.
2: Yeah, and in the interest of time, I'm going to go very quickly through these remaining slides. Each one could probably be its own hour-long webinar, and in some cases it is, and you can check that out on our website. So I'll just talk briefly about each one of these, and if you have questions, if there's any additional questions you have about any of them, we'd be happy to get into it in more detail uh, during the Q&A time. So one of the big questions that organizations have is whether or not they should go with Google Workspace or Microsoft 365. They're both excellent systems. Some are a better fit for some organizations, some are a better fit for other organizations. And in some cases, organizations benefit from using both. So it's not an all or nothing question and it's uh, something that um, we'd be happy to to help organizations um, think through in more detail. Similarly, organizations have a question of whether or not they should go with Windows or Macs or both, both is an option. It does cost a little bit more to manage multiple systems, but there are good business reasons for doing that. So that's another example of um, a question um, that organizations might have. If you go with Windows, there's a great new technology from Microsoft called Microsoft Autopilot, which basically allows you to order your equipment from the manufacturer, whether it's Dell or Lenovo or a similar manufacturer, automatically assigned to your organization. And if you have everything configured properly in Microsoft Intune, then that brand new laptop, when it arrives, can be shipped directly to your staff and it'll automatically configure itself out of the box. Um, So that saves a lot of time with provisioning and we've had a lot of success with Microsoft Autopilot. Um, Apple Business Manager, uh, Apple has a similar program with uh, Apple Business Manager where You can link any Macs that you order or um, iOS devices or iPad devices that you order uh, with your organization. And then if you're using a mobile device management solution, you can also have that equipment automatically provisioned for your staff out of the box. So this is a great utility for organizations that are using a lot of Apple products, something that's definitely worth exploring in more detail. (laughs)
4: Yeah, and I would just add, you know, kind of add on here the, you know, this, I think the idea is not, you know, either or, you know, you don't have to use Office 365 or Google, you don't have to use Mac or Windows, you can use both. And I think um, that's part of the trend that we're seeing with a lot of nonprofit organizations is that they're finding the best tools uh, for their organization to use and, and kind of integration as opposed to to being really strict about the silos that they're, they're putting folks in. And I think it's good to know that Uh, There are effective technology management platforms for both Windows and now for Mac OS as well. Um, What we have found is that, uh, again, we take a best of breed approach. You can't use tools that were designed to support Windows to support Macs. um, And so you may need to have some additional technology tools in place to support that. But you can certainly have Macs in your your nonprofit organization, enterprise organization, um, if folks want them, if they're more productive using that platform. Um, as opposed to you know just just shunting them off into the into your uh, creative department, so
2: many organizations are going office-less, but if you still have an office, most organizations that do are going serverless. So no matter what your size is, you probably don't need that server anymore, and it makes sense to look into migrating away from the server. So that's that's a real trend that we've noticed. Uh, one of the few things that servers were still needed for was managing printers. And, you know, organizations would print through a print server. There are now ways to do printer management through a cloud interface. We use a solution called Printer Logic, which can be deployed directly to the laptop. It it makes things a lot easier. You no longer need a server, and it um, will automatically add and remove printers based on which office you're in. So that's a really cool solution and. Uh, we're definitely seeing the entire IT environment go serverless. Finally, a quick word. Obviously, we're all aware of supply chain challenges. It's impacted all kinds of industries, including IT. We're actually entering a strange new era. There's a, there was a chip shortage you're probably aware of. Um, we're actually now entering a chip. It seems like we're going to be entering a chip glut. Uh, prices have really been dropping on things like GPUs. Um, there's word that laptops are starting to, you know, pile up in warehouses. Um, it doesn't mean that the things are easier to order, though, because supply chain isn't just about chip manufacturing. It's the result of all kinds of um, impacts on what is a vast, very complicated and large global network around uh, manufacturing and shipping. So our advice is plan as early as you can, place the order as early as you can and prepare to be flexible. We've had situations where we've ordered equipment and it's taken months to arrive. We've had situations where we've ordered equipment. We're told it would take six months and then it showed up the following month and then we had to scramble to deploy the equipment. So it's not that there's a supply chain sort of shortage, short sh- shortage. it's that there's supply chain uncertainty and it just requires a lot of flexibility and agility to work around.
3: But I feel like that last piece, Johan, when we talked earlier about the budgeting is if you know what your hardware needs are for a year out, two years out, then you can order as soon as possible, hoping that you'll have them when you need them, so it's just something to be mindful about. So we had another question come in on the chat. Please, if um, if people have questions, we love to take questions, so just put them in there. Um, Cheryl asked, do you need a server for an external database?
4: I mean, The the short answer is uh, is no. Many you know many popular databases. I think Razor's Edge is probably a good example. Um, you know, very traditional client server database used to be you know in your office on that server. Uh, they now have uh, and have had for a while a, a cloud hosted version of that same system. So again, you can kind of do all the things you would expect to do. Uh, you know, kind of directly in the cloud. Um, you know, there may be a, a need to have some additional data reporting capabilities, uh, but in terms of running a physical server, uh, that's not something that we see many organizations still doing. Uh, they're either you know using the software as a service uh, provided by the vendor, uh, or then supplementing that with some other cloud uh, cloud systems.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things we found is that the costs of buying a server, storing it, paying for the power the Internet, ongoing maintenance of the server, you know, over five years, th- those costs can get up into the $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 range. And so for the same price or less, you can just purchase a virtually hosted server with Amazon or Azure and not deal with all the physical headaches that go along with it and in some cases save money. So. Um, we've we found that, you know, moving everything to the cloud basically has, has made the most sense in most cases.
3: And I think that also reflects what we're seeing of people working um, from many different locations, like maybe in a hybrid office, maybe in an office maybe in a shared space, um, you know, like subletted office, if people are downsizing or, you know, working from a coffee shop or working from home, being able to have that access. Um, There used to be a whole bunch of different hoops you had to jump through to be able to get into a um, server. And now I feel like with everything on the cloud, it's a lot more, I mean, Matt, you talked about um, multi-factor authentication and making sure those logins are secure. But if you have a secure login, and you can work in the cloud, then you really can work from anywhere, which is we're seeing a lot of.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So, do people have more questions? I want to make sure that we have time for questions, Kara. I don't know if you, um, if you wanted to, if you have more stuff that you need to say. You have all of our contact information is here, um, and I believe we're sending out an email after this to all the registrants, where you can get back in touch with us and get more information from us.
1: Yes, that is correct. We will um, have a follow up email with recording and everything. So that'll be all taken care of for the attendees. We do have one more question that did come in um, from Leah. She asked, um, can you share a sample of an IT policy document?
3: I can take that. Hold on. I'll have to grab uh, the link, but um, I, I will share that in the chat.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We have about like two more questions. Oh, we have another question coming in. Um, let's see. Margo asked a question too. Um, do you have a good resource for informing a very small shop, um, of it options that can help with productivity? Um, we don't even know what's out there that might help us, for example, integrating CRM platforms with other software applications or helping with managing social media. Well, um, I think like for even like social media, um, if you don't, uh, you can use something like we use like Loomly and our um, with our organization. There's a lot of platforms out there um, that you can use. Um, CRM, I guess. Do you all have any uh, examples or anything to to share on that?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, one of a resource that you may already be familiar with, but that we really like a lot, and I'll send it out in the chat, is TechSoup. Um, and mm-hmm. they offer courses. They have a lot of um, free online material. And, and their mission basically is to help nonprofits of all sizes, but particularly small nonprofit organizations with their technology capacity. And so that's a good resource. Um, for, for an organization of your size that's very small, you might be able to find a volunteer um, who could provide you with some advice or an independent consultant, I think tends to make the most sense for really small organizations um, and just sort of getting started, getting their you know feet on the ground when it comes to IT.
1: Awesome, thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, Cheryl asked another question too. Um, she asked, we have a database that we can log in from anywhere, but we were told to buy a new server to fix the issues when having, but um, they have them experiencing with it. Um, do you have any suggestions on cloud-based databases um, where client worker interactions can be recorded?
4: Yeah, that's a, well, I was going to say, I think probably what I would respond there is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't just kind of do what you're doing now and, and kind of move that system either to a a brand new server or, or kind of a hosted uh, database in the cloud. But I would really look at what are your organization's requirements and is there a, a, a software as a service application that can, can meet your requirements? Because I think particularly on that auditing and logging and reporting side, like unless you have a lot of really sophisticated tools, it's hard to do that with a database That you have, you know, kind of on a server in your office. Uh, And so cloud databases like Salesforce or, um, you know, dynamics are really built with a lot of that auditing and reporting built right in. And then you don't have to take all of those additional steps. And so that can be a much more affordable way to get, you know, a high quality and sophisticated um, database platform.
3: I just wanted to jump in, I put another resource in the chat and we can maybe send it out on how to hire an outsourced IT provider and some good questions to ask. Um, So that that might be helpful to you if you're contemplating a big project or if you're being told by your current provider, like, you need to do this big project if you want to have some ideas of how to get a second opinion.
2: I just saw a question from Lucinda, do we have time? To answer
1: her question, yeah, sure. I mean, the people are kind of jumping off because I think it's a little bit over time right now. But yeah, we can we can answer. Thank it's you, okay.
2: thank you, Kara. I, I appreciate it because uh, it's an excellent question. And and um, Lucinda asked, you know, do you have any recommendations for non techy people to evaluate proposals about technical issues, or even candidates for tech type positions? And I think this is something we feel very strongly about at Community IT that anyone who's delivering IT as a service has to be able to explain it in terms that the average business manager or leader, nonprofit manager or leader can understand. So if you're getting a proposal from someone and you don't understand it, go back to them and ask them to explain it to you. And if they can't, then you probably don't wanna work with them anyways. So um, don't be afraid to ask questions. There are no dumb questions when it comes to IT. And if you're not getting the answers, um, that satisfy you, that's not your problem. That's their problem. And you need to find a new um, provider to talk to. We've, we've worked with hundreds of nonprofits. We, most of the nonprofits we work with have no tech background. And you know, over time, we're able to, you know, at the end of the day, it's their decision to make about technology. And it's our job to empower them to make that decision effectively.
1: Um, Thank you all again so much for this awesome presentation and great um, information. Um, A lot of people are really, I can see in the chat, they're thinking about ways that they can incorporate this information they learned. Um, So thank you all so much. And we hope to see you again on next Webinar Wednesday. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining this Community IT Podcast Part 2. You can find Part 1 in your podcast feed if you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community, and we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com, so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.